0: Well, welcome to the Cup for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay. I'm joined by Eric Stearns. And today we're digging into my message from Sunday, which was on Heritage Sunday, um, our Methodist roots and our Methodist roots in service. And so since uh, how this works is we record on Tuesday nights, and today is actually Aldersgate Street Day, Um, we are talking about our, our Methodist history and heritage, our Wesleyan roots, and just what that means for us as believers today. Let's get into it. Awesome. As a person in the pews, um, how did it feel? Because this is not something I've done really kind of el- ever before. Is I, I'm, I'm preaching on the exact same text. Like I, I like to put together a series, and usually I have a general theme, and then several scriptures that support that theme. Um, but this, these last two weeks, we have focused on Galatians 5. Um, mm-hmm. How has that been received for, your, for the average person in the pew?
1: Didn't even think about it. Okay. Um,
0: <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair response. Yeah.
1: Um, but, I mean, there's so many things that you can pull from different verses. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't, you can interpret things two different ways. And yeah, still, definitely. You know, I don't know. Yep. I think yeah, it's fine. It was,
0: and even without contradicting, contradicting mm-hmm. yourself. Right. Um, the pastor that I had growing up, Royal Archer, always joked about, you know, this, the story of Peter walking on the water. What the, Jesus tells the disciples to do first is stay in the boat. Mm-hmm. It's not until Peter, you know, is Peter that Jesus commands Peter to get out of the boat. Mm-hmm. And so what Royal always wanted to do was preach a two-week sermon series where he read that entire text twice and preached one week on the importance of staying in the boat, of listening to what Jesus says first, and also mm-hmm. that there's there's there are things that happen in the boat that don't happen on the water. We're safer in the boat, and sometimes we need that safety. But then there's Peter. Mm-hmm. Like it's, that it's commanded by Christ to get, out, to get out of the boat. And so often we focus on Peter and getting out of the boat that we ignore the other 11 in the boat. Mm-hmm. And so what does it say about their faithfulness that they listened to Jesus in the first place mm-hmm. and didn't need what Peter needed? So,
1: yeah, that's a good point.
0: Yep. Maybe stay tuned for that sometime. I don't know if that'll happen. <laughs> but. Nice.
1: Well, can we just talk about Wesley? Yeah. Cause that was, we never spent time on Wesley. Um, growing up in this church, so I really don't know much. Sure. And so I would love to just hear, like, start at the beginning. Like, <laughs> where did he, like, how did this, all of this transpire? Because you kind of talked about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, he was ordained mm-hmm. at Oxford and then went... Um, yep. He was a, what was, he was a priest at the Church of England? Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Yep, yep. He was a priest.
1: So, like, what's, what's his background? I mean... Yeah.
0: Wesley was born as one of the nine surviving children of Samuel and Susanna Wesley. Samuel, was his dad was also a priest. um, And for the longest time, they served at the church in Epworth. And so that's why in Methodist circles, you will see the name Epworth on certain things. Mm. Um, Valley City, North Dakota, the United Methodist Church in Valley City is Epworth Mm. United Methodist Church um, because that place was where John grew up and mm-hmm. that's also where, when he was a young child, the the, the, the rectory, the parsonage at Upworth burned down. Mm. Um, and there's a little bit of rumor that that was done by parishioners, um, by Samuel Wesley's own parishioners. Uh, they did not like him very well. And so the rumor is, and, the, and the, kind of the legend is, no one knows if this is true or not. The legend is, is that frustrated parishioners lit the parsonage on fire as a way to maybe try and oust the Wesleys. Hmm. Um, and John was stuck on an upper floor and the fire was blazing and he had to like jump out the window and be saved. Um, and so he would say of his own life that he was one who was plucked from the fire. So that God, you know, he believed that God had this big bold purpose for his life, because why else would God save him from the fire
1: mm-hmm. if
0: only to do something with that life? Um and so formational in his faith was actually his mother Susanna, even more so than his father Samuel. Uh, despite him being the priest and the, tr- and the leader of the church, um, Susanna Wesley is really the one who raised all nine Wesley children in faith and also um, hosted Bible studies and other things in her home, which was super frowned upon, but yet people it was popular enough that people you know, didn't care. They would just come. What was frowned upon? Women leadership. Okay, Women that's leadership. what I figured. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was definitely not a normal thing back in that day. Mm-hmm. but Susanna didn't care because she knew that it was important enough and the people didn't care because she was good enough at doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did that. Um, and so then John pretty typical upbringing um, and then um, did go to Oxford, um, received degrees there, uh, did pursue ordination in the church of England and then went back to ta- to teach at um, Oxford. Okay. Um, he was a fellow um, at, at uh, one, of the, in one of the colleges at Oxford. Um, and then, Uh, It was during his time of fellowship that his brother Charles uh, also came to Oxford. And they were, he, Charles and his friends were seeking some kind of spiritual growth opportunity of some kind because the Church of England was very much a hobby more than a place that you could really dig in and give your life to. Um, You know, it was very Hmm. surfacey, very show up on Sunday, and then the rest of it doesn't nearly matter nearly as much. And so Charles and John came up with this idea, which became kind of known as the Holy Club. That was not their doing. That's not like, you know, we're Mm -hmm. were going to sit around the table and decide what to call this thing. That's not really how it went. They just got together, and they they practiced um, reading scripture, uh, reading devotional books, and then acts of service. Um, They also practiced regular fasting, so much so that one member of the Holy Club fasted himself to literal death. Oh, really? Which is kind of an extreme view of fasting, but he mm-hmm. did, and that's what happened. Um, and so that kind of grew while they were at Oxford um, together when Charles was as a student and John was a fellow. Um, that kind of grew and, and kind of morphed into the, the, the Methodist movement that we know and love now today. Um, Holy Club, Methodists were, like I said on Sunday, Those were both pejorative terms that other people called them. Mm -hmm. Um, The Holy Club one stuck. And then clearly at some point in time, Methodism stuck as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was during this time when John was a fellow at Oxford, uh, that a guy named Oglethorpe was, was working on this new colony in Georgia. He wanted to be more of a Christian focused area. And so he was impressed by Wesley and John Wesley um, and Charles, too, and both Wesleys ended up in Savannah, Georgia. Um, then there was a time where they split up for a while. Charles fell ill. John got in a lot of other types of trouble. <laughs> um hmm. so, Is it so, podcast-worthy? Yeah, it's very podcast-worthy. <laughs> so what happened was um, John was very dedicated to his faith um, and really saw his life as being maybe even celibate for, for mm-hmm. his whole life. He didn't think that was for everybody, but yet he thought it was going to be for him because his desire was so strong to serve the church. He wanted to serve the community. He wanted to be and all, you know, just, he wanted to do all of the things. Um, and really his passion for going to Georgia was he wanted to evangelize to indigenous people. Hmm. That never really happened because he got, he got to be involved in, in, in this, in this settlement um, and there was conflict and division and, and, all kinds of frustration and other things. So he ended up having to deal with a lot of, you know, church stuff and not mm-hmm. a lot of evangelism work, a lot of, not a lot of mission work. And through that, he met a woman named Sophie Hopke, um, and they kind of got sweet on each other. Um, and Sophie kind of missed, John and Sophie misunderstood the trajectory of their, of their relationship. Um, John didn't necessarily want to get married, and Sophie very badly wanted to get married to John. And, like, to the point where it became a problem. Um, in the video that I had the confirmation kids watch, um, there was, like, this big kiss scene where, like, Sophie and John finally kiss, and then John just, like, shoves her and says, no, I want to follow Jesus. <laughs> and, like I said, some of the acting is real bad in that movie. Um, and what happened is they broke up Mm -hmm. and Sophie being, you know, a young woman that, you know, in that society, marriage is what you did. She met someone else that she got very sweet on. And then they asked John because he was the local chaplain to do the wedding Mm. and he refused. And then um, John was concerned for Sophie's salvation and thought that she was backsliding um, you know, away, from, away from her faith uh, to the point where he told her that she, he would not serve commu- her communion because she, he decided that she wasn't worthy. <laughs> and she's also the niece of the guy that organized the colony. Mm. So she's kind of pretty well connected. Um, and so her new husband actually sued Wesley um, because for defamation, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he said something about her character by not serving her communion, um, and it, in, in in their estimation, um, and so John Wesley was basically forced to flee. Interesting. Like, he did not get to evangelize to into into indigenous people. He pissed everybody off. I don't know if this is fable or if this is one of Wesley's journals. Um, supposedly, one of his parishioners in this Georgia colony said, "No one likes you." No one likes your sermons. There is not a single one of us that would apply your teaching to our lives. Really? <sighs> and as a preacher, like, that's some real drama, man. Mm-hmm. Like, that's some, that's, those are fighting words, you know, because that's, our ultimate goal in preaching is to instill faithfulness in Christ and help us to guide us, you know, to help guide us into, le- into leading godly lives and guide us deeper into our faith. Being told that we don't like you and will not apply any of your teachings to our lives is those are serious accusations. Mm -hmm. And so Wesley fled. Um, It was kind of in part because Charles got sick over there and went back early, and then got sicker. And then West, but Wesley was also facing this lawsuit, and people were mad at him, and so he kind of just tried to just slowly and carefully and quietly just go away. Hmm. um during the trip back to england there was a big storm um and wesley saw this group of moravian christians um kind of some ties into germany um is kind of their 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 ethnic background um but they were just hanging out they were just singing songs and praising god and praying and reading scripture and wesley's like i would not have done that i was so scared i was so afraid i was gonna die after this big failing season of my life, I was just so afraid I was going to die, make no impact whatsoever. And he saw the faith of the Moravian Christians, and he was just so compelled by that. And so he got to know some of them quite well. And when he got back to England, some of these Moravian Christians are the people that inspired him to go to this meeting on Aldersgate Street and they were reading from Luther's, Martin Luther, like, mm-hmm. you know, the Lutheran church, Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. Um, they were reading for, from his commentary on the Romans, and something clicked in his heart that he'd been doing this all wrongs thus far, because he would practiced such a works righteousness. He thought if he could just be good enough for God, he'd be good enough, and we're never good enough. That's not how this works. But something finally clicked where he did trust Christ and Christ alone for his salvation. And that was all there's Gate Street. Then after that, with, you know, he had his heart strangely warmed by the Holy Spirit you know, and really you know, in, trusted Jesus for the first time. Um, he, he started to preach about that and tell people about that and just say, if this isn't happening to you, then your faith is dead and what you're doing here is pointless. And surprisingly, people didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's when it got into that season of I was asked to preach here and was asked not to preach again. I was asked, you know, I was asked to preach here and I was, wasn't allowed to preach again until he was invited to go preach at Epworth, where his dad had been the priest. There was a new priest because his dad has been dead for a while now. And the priest got wind that Wesley was coming and said, Look, I've heard about you and I don't like you, and you are not welcome to preach here. And so what happened was he also became friends with this guy named George Whitfield, who was a part of the Holy Club and George Whitfield has this ministry of going to coal mines, of going anywhere on the highways and the byways and into nature to preach the gospel. and John's a very church guy, and so like this was a big deal for him like he just couldn't fathom not preaching in a church mm-hmm. And so Epworth or so Whitfield said, "Come with me one time." And see what's going on. And he did. And George Whitfield kind of pushed him into it and said, now you're going to hear from this guy. And so John's like, well, I guess here we go. And so he had been doing this open air preaching until, so he comes to Epworth where his dad's buried. And when in that day and in that time, the grave was owned by the family. And so he climbed atop his father's grave and preached a sermon at Epworth because he owned he could not be kicked off of this ground, mm-hmm. so that's where he preached from. And so, then the American Revolution happened. The Church of England obviously took all of their, you know, when the when the American Revolution was over, the Church of England is like, well, you just kicked England out of America, so bye. And, you know, there were all these open pulpits and open places where people were hurting for someone to come and preach. And so Wesley had some, there was already some division happening between him and the Church of England. Like the Methodist movement was really starting in earnest. And then the American Revolution happened. And one of the major things in, that happened um, in the Methodist Church in America, the Methodist Episcopal Church in America, it would have it would have been the more formal name, mm-hmm. um, was the Christmas Conference of 1784. Um, Basically, Wesley had empowered uh, Thomas Coke and Francis Asbury uh, to come across from England to Baltimore, um, and circuit riders went all around the place and got all of the Methodist pastors um, in Baltimore at that time to kind of lay out some of the organization, like really like our denominational structure, kind of based on the political philosophies of John Locke. So our 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 connection, our our church polity mimics the federal government in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and that all kind of started there because francis asbury was so fascinated by john locke um and so francis asbury really kind of organized some things and then thomas coke and asbury uh, francis asbury um really ordained a lot of folks at that conference and then sent them out in this this was the uh, kind of the, the launch of the formal methodist movement in america interesting mm-hmm
1: that's why those names make sense now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Yep. And our, and our denomination's public publishing house is Cokesbury because mm-hmm. of Thomas Coke, that part of Coke, and then the second half of Francis Asbury's name. So Cokesbury mm-hmm. is nice. shoved together gotcha. to be Cokesbury. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So what? Okay. So he, obviously, at some point, people started liking what he was saying. Yeah. Uh, at Epworth. Was kind of where that really Epworth,
0: and then a lot of the other open air, you know, open air opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I mean, because he was so insistent upon service, um, you know, they were doing things in the community. They were going and you know, they were hanging out with people that other the the other church people would not hang out with. You Mm -hmm. know, they were doing things like teaching Sunday school. Like Sunday school didn't start off as like a church thing. Sunday school was a school for those that could not afford private education during the week. They would teach for free, young kids. And hmm. through that, you know, we're able to teach a little bit about Jesus while also teaching about, you know, education things. Um, and just kind of slowly, slowly but surely, people joined what they were doing. And slowly, slowly but surely, it became evident that there was going to be a split between the Church of England and this Methodist thing. And there was like, there never was a formal, like Charles or the John Wesley to his death was an ordained priest in the, in the church of England. He was never excommunicated or defrocked, but Mm -hmm. it was, it was very clear that there was a split and that the Methodist was going, the Methodists were going one way and the church of England was going another way.
1: You mean, he really had a transformation from no one liking him to having a massive following. I mean,
0: absolutely. Yes. That's crazy. Yep.
1: So what was I mean what was it really just the the going away from works and mm-hmm. towards service where everyone started to to latch on to what he was saying
0: that and the emphasis on grace mm-hmm. I mean there became such a bigger emphasis in Wesley's life because he had finally experienced grace you know after 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 Aldersgate Street his like most commonly preached on passage of scripture was Ephesians 2, which talks about going from death to life, going about being God's handiwork, and that our salvation, that we're saved by grace and not faith, lest anyone can boast, and we are God's handiwork, nothing that was, we're not anything that's made by human hands, that no one has a place for boasting. He preached, and he preached, and he preached on that, and that was just such a different message than people were used to hearing. It was more about God than it was about us, and that's really important. And, you know, and, and just his emphasis on grace um, was so strong. And that that plus the fact that, you know, they were actually doing stuff as a result of their faith um, really is what attracted people to what they were doing. You know, and, and also that there was such a tangible, like, there's a reason why Methodists stuck because there was a method. Mm -hmm. You know, the Holy Club method was Bible, lots of Bible, lots of Bible, devotional books, devotional practices, and then public, you know, public practices, inward and outward piety that, you know, was not for show, but was a response to what had happened inwardly. You know, Mm -hmm. we're changed here and then we spread out.
1: So how did Charles, I mean, because... As a kid growing up in the Methodist church, you always heard the name Charles Wesley. Yep. How, what, what was his influence on this denomination?
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. Um, So, like I said, he was part of the um, colony in Georgia, in Savannah. Um, He got moved away from Savannah and he was doing a lot of the same work that John was doing, but then he fell ill and then Mm -hmm. he got sicker. And then, you know, but after that, this entire time he had been such a dynamic poet Um, that he wrote hymns and so his real his real influence on our denomination to this day are the thousands of hymns that he wrote throughout Mm -hmm. the years and the way that the the ways that those have been um, preserved in our hymnody Mm -hmm. um, is really his enduring legacy
1: gotcha yep i always tell jenna that every well when we were growing up i was going to join her at church which is lutheran church mm-hmm. and i would see in the hymnal that it was a charles wesley
0: and i always had to point that out to her well done <laughs> well done
1: is there anything else like like what other pieces do we do
0: well, services remain such a hallmark of who we are as, as methodist people i mean really like we our local churches are designed to be little holy clubs mm-hmm. that should and, and i don't mean that as that we're holier than thou or self-righteous we are literally supposed to be reflective of the original Holy Club at Oxford that started this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, there is still the provision in our book of discipline uh, for uh, for the organization of class meetings and bands in our churches. Mm-hmm. You know we are supposed to be doing that. We've largely fallen away from that part of our heritage, but there, you know, a major part of our history was organizing people into small groups based on gender to do the things that Wesley said to the that Wesley started with the Holy Club. To devote ourselves to the study of scripture to devote ourselves to small group bible studies to devote ourselves to um to reading devotional books outside of that to ask one another and hold each other accountable to how we are growing in our faithfulness and then also to devote ourselves to acts of service that's remained such a big part of our heritage and history um, that i thought it was kind of an interesting I and mean, I, I swear to god i'm not smart enough to do, do this on purpose <laughs> but to have heritage sunday be the Sunday where we talk about service felt so right to
1: me. Mm-hmm. It fit together very nicely yeah, I think mm-hmm. so too. That's always been the um, I, well that is definitely alive in this church, at least the outward service mm-hmm. has been alive in this church as, I mean in the last thirty one years at least yep. um, we've always we've always done things outside of this building
0: mm-hmm,
1: and that always continues. Definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the things that when I was being appointed here that I, one of the very first things I learned about Canton church was that we are really a church that is for our community. Um, mm-hmm. We'll do everything in our power to serve the people around us and then the world around us at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was really drawn to that as a pre as a pastor um, that really, you know, I, I've been a part of that in the, in previous appointments too, um, mm-hmm. just coming and, or just coming alongside of this and hopefully helping it grow has been um, one of the real highlights of ministry here.
1: Yeah. but it's it's so important in everything when when you approach things outwardly instead of inwardly, mm-hmm. you have a whole different perspective on that. Absolutely, you know, when you're when you're looking at how can I how what I'm doing of benefit to everyone else or what value am I adding to everyone around me makes a big difference in how you make decisions.
0: Absolutely. Yep.
1: And we're all more successful because of it. Mm. I agree with that. How did the epicenter all end up at Nashville? Uh,
0: that I don't actually know. Mm. Uh, and I think part of it has to do with, you know, with the, with the Savannah connection um, so much of our history and heritage is in the South, mm. um, and then spread north and west from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and still to this day, there remains a large, large Methodist presence in in our southeastern South states. Mm. But I don't know the I don't know the actual answer sure. to that question. Interesting.
1: Yeah, no, that's fine. What else do you want to talk about?
0: The only thing that I really cut because it just felt a little bit too self congratulatory. Um, <laughs> is that one of the ways that I choose to serve, one of the things that I choose to do, so we talked on Sunday about, you know, my friend bought me coffee and I was like, hey, you don't have to do that. And she said, I know I don't have to do that. I'm doing that because I want to. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I want to do, um, actually revolves around coffee as well, um, is that the Laura's Lattes here in town has a punch card where you buy 10 drinks, you get the, you, is it nine and then there's the 10th is free or 10 and then one is free. I'm not sure, I'm not even sure how it works because- what I do with that punch card is I'm a very, I'm a very strong punch card user, very strong coffee drinker. Um, <laughs> and um, what I would do with my punch card is I very seldom will get a drink for myself. Um, I will just hand it back to the two either Deneen or Josie or whoever's working and just say, you know what? There's a vehicle behind me they can have that free drink, you know? And so cool. kind of my way, my way of doing drive through difference without, Creating a whole lot of logjam and headache, but mm-hmm. just you know, what I want to do is to make someone else's day brighter.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's cool.
0: Yep. I cut that just because it, like I said, it just felt a little bit too self congratulatory, mm-hmm. but you know, I understand that. Yeah. I think it is important for us, though, to look to opportunities and look at, you know, to, to, to see the want tos of our world rather than the have tos, you know.
1: Very cool what's next week?
0: Yeah, so next week is the continuation of this series. Uh, We are focusing um, again on Galatians 5 um, and talking about how we are um, set free to transform the world. Um, You know, there are—we've been talking about this whole—this entire time about how we are set free by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are set free to live outside of a cold and dead religion. We are set free to serve because we want to rather than we have to. And we're free to transform those things in the world that we do not like, including ourselves. We'll be focusing on what it means um, to uh, transform the world and maybe even some examples of things in the world that you know in, in the name of Jesus can be transformed and that and that be okay and sometimes those things that need to be transformed are us you know mm-hmm. sometimes we're the problem we're the drama we're the we're the brokenness that the, the, and then we can focus on fixing in us and then using that to using that freedom to change to really look at ourselves and and how we live in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do we really live the freedom that Jesus has given us? Do we really live the example that Jesus has given us? And what in our world and in our lives do we want to see changed in the name of Jesus Christ? Very cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Nice. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's Cut for Time podcast. Join us again on Sunday here in the church or on Facebook Live or again for
0: the podcast next week. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.